Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 3. My name is Philip Hunt, and I am happy to be with you in this 2021 Men's Conference. And in this session, I want to speak to you on the nature of the battle. Each of us as men, Christian men, are engaged in a spiritual conflict. And we must come face to face and acknowledge the battles that we face as men. And today we want to look to Scripture and allow Scripture to define those battles for us and also to discover what God has provided for our victory. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice as we read these three verses that that there are uh, identification given to the three spiritual enemies that every one of us as men face. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, he says, Paul is writing uh, to believers in Ephesus, and he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now notice this, following the course of this world. There's enemy number one. Following, number two, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and here it is, the third enemy of every Christian man, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, what did that look like? We, we lived our lives carrying out the desires of our body and of our mind and were by very nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. The subtitle of this session is Lions, Bears, and Giants. And of course that reminds us of uh, 1 Samuel and the the account of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 14, kind of the center, I think, of the David story in the Old Testament, God says this through the prophet to then King Saul. And he says that he was going to search out for himself, and here it is, a man after God's own heart. And we find that in that account of David and his life and his growth and as God brought him through trials and eventually brought him to be king over Israel, that David encountered uh, as a shepherd boy uh, the lion. Uh, he also encountered a bear that came out to ravage his flock. And then, of course, perhaps the most famous story and account of David is, is when he visited his brothers and they were, they were at war against the Philistines and, and, and there came Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and, and we've all probably read how, how David volunteered and took a sling and ran out into the, the valley and, and cried out to this giant who is coming in full weaponry with, with his sword and his armor bearer, and, and as David runs forward and puts 
puts a stone in his sling. David cries out, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that stone was shot out of the sling and sunk into the forehead of uh, this this uh, giant of a man named Goliath. And David, this young teenager, probably at the time, killed this battle-hardened Philistine warrior. And uh, we love to read those stories, but, but I think what God is doing in that, in that account is, is, is God is bringing about these battles and these difficulties to reveal to us what God already knew to be true about David, that in fact, he was a man after God's own heart. And I, and I pray that during this conference that we as men will develop a heart for God and that God will be able to say about us that we too are men after God's own heart. You see, men, battles, spiritual battles, are sent to strengthen us. Battles prepare us for greater conflict that is coming. The, the, the bear and the lion out there in the wilderness amongst those little sheep, the, the, the slaying and the trusting of God to overcome a bear and a lion, those victories prepared David to face Goliath on the battlefield uh, in front of two warring armies. Those are the battles that ensured future victories as David eventually assumed the throne of Israel. So battles are sent, spiritual battles are, are sent not to defeat us, not to uh, 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 crush us in our walk with God, but rather to prepare us for greater conflict, to prepare us to be men after God's own heart. If you're like me, um, spiritual battles come suddenly. It's not like we usually get much of a warning that the battle is coming. But suddenly, I'm going through the normal course of my life, I'm walking through my, my day, and from seemingly nowhere, I found myself in the midst of a spiritual battle. I also find that spiritual battles, like David's battles, come in the course and along the path of me carrying out my, my God-given responsibilities. In other words, David was out in that field because his father told him as a young boy to go and tend to the sheep. And as he was carrying out, as he was obeying and carrying out his responsibilities, suddenly there's opposition, there's enemies, there's danger, there's a spiritual battle. The battle that we face as men is not a battle that is waged with weapons of the flesh. In other words, the kind of battle that you and I are engaged in as Christian men is not something that will be overcome in our own strength. We are not rolling out tanks and machine guns to meet a physical enemy. Rather, we are engaged in a cosmic spiritual war. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, writes, chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So these are spiritual weapons that God gives us in order to engage in the spiritual war that every one of us as men are engaged in. And so in this uh, session, I want us to look um, uh, and identify the nature of the battle that we find ourselves in. And I think to begin, we need to identify and understand who our enemies are. And we saw that in Ephesians chapter number 2. In fact, there are three enemies that were identified. There is the world, then there is the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan or the devil, and then in verse number three, he reminds us that we, that we once lived according to the passions of our flesh. So we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let, let's, let's look at those. Take, take your Bible, please, and turn with me over to 1 John. Notice 1 John. So we're going to identify our enemies. Let's look at number one. Let's look at the world. What does, what does the scripture, how does God identify this enemy of of every man, every Christian man, this, this enemy of the world. First John chapter 2, notice verse 15. John exhorts us, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, now listen to this sobering statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when he talks about the world, he's not, he's not talking about planet Earth, right? He, he's not talking about terra firma, rocks and trees and rivers. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the order or the system of things that runs our world. It is a, the, the, the world here that we are not to love is a spiritual system that is opposed to God and opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, if you're, if you're there with me, and I hope you have your Bible, uh, verse number 19, notice what it says, and we know that we are from God, right? We, we know that we have, we have been saved, we're redeemed, we're children of God, and we also know, listen, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there, there's, two, there's a dichotomy here, right? Those of us as men who know Jesus, we know that, that we are from God. We're related to God through Christ Jesus. And we also know that this system and the people of the world who are in bondage to this system, that the, the whole world and all of the, the people, the culture, the, the, everything about this system that's opposed to God lies in, in fact, one version says, lies in the arms of the wicked one. And the imagery there is a newborn baby, helpless, right? Be, being held in the arms of, of the mother for the first time. And there is the world. There are the people of the world in their sins and in their darkness, and they are being totally held by the God of this world, which is Satan himself. Both Satan and man's flesh, or in our case, our old nature as children of God, play an important part in forming the world system. 
in both its activities and its philosophies. If you're, if you're still with me, go back to 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 16. Let's continue. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, there's number one, the desires of the, of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, so we've just identified this, this, this world system. It includes the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. You see, the world system, what happens here, this enemy of the world, it's a system of things that surrounds us with the things that our flesh desires. I mean, look at advertisements. If you have, if you have uh, satellite TV, look at the advertisements that come on your screen. You have never seen them try to sell a car with an ugly woman. You've never seen it. Why? Because they're seeking to, to entice you, to attract you, to draw you in with the things that your flesh, our old nature, already desires. You see, the world, then, as our enemy, as men, puts pressure on us as men, doesn't it? I mean, the world comes along and tempts us as Christian men to gain its treasure and seek its approval. Uh, look, at, look at Luke. Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 9. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever would save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Listen to verse, listen to verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains, here it is, the whole world, and yet forfeits his own soul? You see, the world puts pressure on us. It, it tempts us to gain worldly power, to seek worldly position, to try to strive for worldly honor so that we might be exalted in the world, so that, so that the people around us, uh, the, the society, the culture, the people that we interact with, so that they will give us honor, they will elevate us, that we will feel their approval. This is what the world does. Luke 9.26, we, we, we read, uh, or, or to continue what we were reading, verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in all of his glory. Well, what does the world do? The world uh, not only te tempts us to, to, to seek its treasure and approval, but it also tempts us to be ashamed of Christ. In the marketplace, out there in the world, as we're, as we're seeking to live our lives as Christian men, there's this, there's this temptation. Listen, uh, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, as someone who's been in the ministry for now over 30 years, there are times I am still feel that temptation, that stress of the world in a particular environment to just go quiet, to, be, to, to, to not be bold, to not speak my faith, to not push back. We're, we're tempted to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. The world also tempts us, as Christian men, to conform to its standards, the standards of the world. Go, go, look, at, look at John 
the Gospel of John. Look at chapter 17. John 17. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you today, and I hope if you've got a pen that you're writing some of these down, you can look them up later. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world hated them. Why? Because they are not of the world. Right? I mean, they don't conform to the world's standards, these followers of mine. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, Jesus says. You see, this world system tries to force on us its values and, and force us to adopt those values. Is not this what this whole LBGTQ thing that's going on? The pressure that we're facing in Zambia, even at high levels, to acknowledge and accommodate this worldview? Is this not the abortion debate that is raging in our country that a woman should have a right to choose? What happens? It's the world has a system and, and they, it has its own values and it wants to press us, it wants to conform us as Christian men. The world has its own priorities. It has a philosophy. You might call it a worldview, right? The world has its own view of things. And, and that view of things is always something other than biblical. We think of the priorities, they have a philosophy, they also have values. Go, go back with me to the book of Ephesians. Notice chapter 2, look at verse 2 again. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Values. For, for instance, let me, let me give you one illustration. The, 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 our culture, the world, values education almost above everything. So, so, so we are pressed by the philosophy of the world to believe that if we can just educate people, the problems of society will be resolved. Like getting ahead, if I can just get ahead. And so it doesn't matter what means I need to use as long as I don't get caught you see, it's not, it's not a sin to lie to people, to gain advantage over people. I mean, you see Christians, Christian men acting like this in the business world, right? It's, it's not a sin to, to, to lie to people, to cheat people. Corruption, even amongst Christians, the sin is if you get caught, right? That's, that's, that's a philosophy of the world. That's the values of the world. I mean, the values of the world is that, that, that education, if, if I can just get my kids a, a good education, and that's what's most important. So when it comes to exam time, my children are not going to be in church because, because I'm going to make sure that they do what's really important. And what's really important is that they study for their grade 12 exams. That's what our Christian homes, we, we embrace the values of the world, right? And, and, and for a month or, or two months, our, our 18, 17, 
19-year-old children are not seen in church. They're not seen at youth activities. They're not seen at Bible study. Why? Because the most important thing is upon us. They have to clear their 12, grade 12 exams. This is, this is a worldly philosophy. Worldly value. What about fashion? What about fashion? 1 Corinthians 7.31 The outward appearance. The world is all about outward appearance. I mean, you see it, right, in, 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 on our city streets and in our minibuses and in the markets and at the malls. Styles of clothing. Fashion. They say, is there anything wrong with uh, ripped jeans? You know, these ripped jeans that everybody has. No, there's nothing sinful about that. Fine. But, but, but do acknowledge that that's the fashion that the world is forcing upon us, right? I mean, when, I, when I moved uh, from the U.S. and moved to Zambia uh, 30 years ago, you didn't see men walking around with earrings. Never. You never saw that. How did that happen? The fashion, right? The, the pressure of the world that holds up and idolizes these people and said, you also. We have to acknowledge that the world has a tremendous influence in our lives as, as Christians. And, and Scripture is, is, is telling us that the world is not our friend. The world, the system that's opposed to Christ and, his, and, and the gospel is our enemy. Notice the second one. Go to, go to Romans chapter 7. The second one that Ephesians in, uh, talked about um, is the passions of our flesh the passions of our flesh. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul speaks of this struggle in verse 15. He says, I don't even understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but I do the thing I hate. But, but, but if I do what I don't want to do, then I'm agreeing with the law that it's, it is good. So, so now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Listen, that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so here's our second enemy as men, the flesh. You say, what is the flesh? Well, the flesh is this built-in system of failure that makes it impossible for the natural man to please or serve God. It's, it's, it's this compulsive inner force that I inherited from the, from the fall in Genesis chapter 3, which expresses itself in rebellion against God. That's, that's the flesh. And, and Paul says, in verse, in verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. You know what the problem we have, men, Christian men? We don't believe that's true. We don't live as though the flesh in its entirety is bad, evil. And so what do we do? We fail every day to crucify the flesh and its passions. In fact, we feed the flesh and its passions. You say, how do we do that? We feed the flesh and its passions through internet access. How many Christian men are addicted to pornography? How many Christian men are spooling 
videos that they would be mortified if those videos were shown on Sunday morning in their church. So instead of crucifying the flesh, we're feeding the flesh. You see, the flesh is your enemy as a child of God. The flesh tempts us to sin. I mean, Galatians, Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Notice what, notice, what he, notice what he says, Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. The flesh is our enemy. Notice the third one, um, the world, the flesh, and then he talks about the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil himself. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says that your adversary, the devil, speaking to Christians, Peter speaking to, the, to believers, and he says your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion that's stalking about seeking a Christian to devour. John 12 tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. We've already seen that he's called the God of this world. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul brings us into this reality that, that Satan has an organization of evil spirits working with him and influencing the affairs of this world. Ephesians 6.11 says that. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we're not wrestling, we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, so, so what Satan does, our third enemy, Satan, what Satan does, men, is, is he uses the world system in his attack against believers. And he uses our flesh, the old man, in his attack against believers. These are our enemies. If David had a bear, a lion, and Goliath, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I want you to see something, and then I want us to talk about our, our victory over our enemies. I want you to understand that, and I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you. You can write the reference down. But I want you to understand that Christ, Jesus Christ, was victorious over these three enemies. I mean, listen to Jesus' own word. The world, the enemy of, our enemy of the world. John 16, 33, Jesus said, But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of the world. Verse 32, and I will be lifted from the earth. I will draw all men unto, unto me. So Christ was victorious over the world. As he's lifted up on the cross, he won the victory over the world system. Secondly, Christ was victorious over the flesh. 1 John 3, 5 says, and you know that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You see, Christ 
won the victory over the sins of the flesh. He, was, he lived as a man, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. So he was victorious over the world, he was victorious over the flesh, and he was also victorious over the devil. 1 John 3, 8. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. Now listen, for this purpose, God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews writes, that, that, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So, so we see that Christ was, was perfectly and gloriously victorious over these three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he has provided for us as men victory over these three enemies as well. Notice the victory that is ours, our victory over our enemies. Notice our victory over the world. Our victory over the world is found in our relationship and our union with Christ. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You see, when Christ died, the doom of the world system and the doom of the ruler of this world was settled. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God, here it is, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So as by faith, men, we enter into his victory over the world, we too shall overcome and defeat it. And you might want to write down Galatians 1.4 and Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. We're also victorious over the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 speaks of the flesh. We are victorious over the flesh. We are to walk in honesty. Galatians 2.20. Let me just, let's just look at one. Galatians 2 and verse number 20. Listen to what Scripture says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we must see and admit our own particular temptations and sins and defeat. Victory for the man of God is achieved by the fact that Christ has been crucified and that I am in union with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. This victory is achieved by fact, not by feelings. And then we are told that we are to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25, talks about how and what that looks like in our life as men. So we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If we are going to overcome the flesh, we must be honest. We must recognize that we, uh, our, our old man was crucified with Christ, and we must have the indwelling controlled by the indwelling Spirit of God. In fact, Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Don't, don't, be, don't be living a life of debauchery and, and, and wickedness and drunkenness, but rather be being filled, being this continual filling of the Spirit of God. Let me ask you, as a Christian man, are you a Spirit-filled man? Do you begin each day submitting yourself to the authority of the Spirit of Christ who lives in you? How is it that we can walk filled or maybe we could say controlled by the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me just give you a couple of points for you to consider. Well, what does it mean to be a Spirit-filled Christian? Or, or, or how can I obey this command to be filled with the Spirit? Number one, you must honestly examine yourself. Acts 20, 28. Number two, confess all known sin. 1 John 1, 9. Number three, yield yourself to God, Romans 6.13. Number four, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, Ephesians 5.18. And then act by faith and not by feeling, Romans 14.23. Take God at his word and go out into your day trusting in his grace and his power to obey everything that Christ has commanded. So our victory over the world, our victory over the flesh, but we also have been provided victory over Satan, over the devil. I want us to, to wrap up with this idea. Turn with me again to Ephesians. Look, look at chapter 1. Notice verse 20. Ephesians 1.20. Notice what Paul says. It says, and, and this great working of God's power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And God has put, I love this, all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So, so what, are, what are we told here? We're told that, that when Christ died on the cross and he was resurrected and he ascended and he, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that God the Father has put all things under the authority and under the feet of Jesus. And then specifically, he speaks of Satan and spiritual forces of darkness that are under his feet. He gave Christ to be head over all things. All things were placed under his feet. Now, with that thought, look at chapter 2 and verse number 6. Speaking of the Christian. And, he says, By, for by grace have you been saved, verse 5, and he raised us up with him, do you see that? And seated us with him, with Christ, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what, what, what Paul is saying? 
That, that the victory that is mine in Christ through my identification with him, Christ was resurrected and ascended at the right hand of the Father. God put all things, including Satan, under the feet of Jesus. And then as I accept Christ and I'm identified with him in a very real way, positionally, because I am in Christ, because I am in Christ and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and everything is under Christ's feet, and I am in Christ, therefore everything, including Satan, is under my feet also because of Christ. That's why James can write in chapter 4 and verse 7, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, God accomplished our victory in the gospel, in the provision of our salvation. You think of our salvation in, in, in three tenses, right? I mean, in the past, Christ, his work of redemption upon the cross, Christ paid for the penalty of our sin. I was saved from the penalty of sin. There is nothing that Satan can do about the guilt of sin in the life of a Christian. Not guilty. The judge has already declared it. In Christ, I am not guilty. I have been delivered. And that happened. Past tense. With Christ's victory on the cross. But there is a present tense of salvation. I was saved, but I'm also now being saved. I was saved from the penalty of sin, and I am now being saved from the power of sin. And when we seek as men to live a godly life, we will very quickly find out that there is a war that's taking place between heaven and hell, between our fleshly nature and our spiritual nature. And Christ provided present victory and power over sin for my life today in his work upon the cross in my redemption. There's also a future tense. Glory be to God, one day, men, Jesus Christ is going to return and deliver us from the presence of sin. On the cross, he delivered us from the penalty. Today, as his spirit works in, as I, as I submit myself to the spirit of God every day, I, I, am, I am being delivered from the power of sin. And one glorious day, he is going to come and snatch me away from here, and I'm going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. So men, I think my challenge for us today is it's time for us as Christian men to step up and engage in this battle. It's high time that we recognize our enemies and we appropriate every single day what Christ has provided for us so that we can move forward in victory. We must know the truth, we must believe the truth, and we must move forward by faith in obedience to the truth. David was a man after God's own heart. Because he came to know God. He trusted God. And he was willing to engage in battle and obey God. And what happened? He won great victories. And it's my prayer that as men, 
that we will step up, recognize the battle is raging around us and within us, and that we will, by faith, appropriate the, the, the things that God has provided for our victory. We'll engage in the battle, and that daily as we fight this battle against the world, the flesh, and Satan himself, that God will give us the victory. Father, help and empower and teach and build us. Lord, we don't ask for easy lives as men of God. You've already told us that's not going to happen. But we ask that you would grant us faithful lives. Lord, we don't ask for escape. We ask for courage. We don't ask for miracles. We ask for fortitude. I pray that we as men of God would understand the nature of the battle that, that, that we are in as your children. Help us to understand the provision that you have given to us through the gospel for this battle. May we humble ourselves, may we be spirit-filled, and may we engage the world, the flesh, and the devil. And may we know the joy of daily victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.